The standard of care and the goal of the traditional system is to get everybody to what I call the line of fine. Go see your doctor and they go, you're exhausted and breaking out in hives. You're hungry every two hours and constantly bloated. And they're like, but we've done your blood work. You are fine. Fine is the standard with which we are working. And so we, we decrease everyone's expectations, which I actually think is part of what is fueling the uptake of horrendous foods. To me, the root cause is that we actually have not even imagined what healthcare needs to look like on the opposite side of the line of fine. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion, getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. Getting to Yes is a road paved with lots of obstacles, especially when it comes to health. All too often, we procrastinate on our health only to take action when something is seriously amiss. At the same time, chronic disease is bankrupting our society, not only financially, but also spiritually. And that's why I'm so excited about today's guest on the podcast, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Megan Walker, who just launched her latest book, Impact Medicine, introducing a much more sustainable and unrivaled approach to healthcare. Megan is a naturopathic doctor focusing on health and business optimization for clinician entrepreneurs and game changers. I actually first met Megan in 2016 on top of a mountain in Utah, where we both attended a conference of healthcare leaders, and I immediately recognized her strategic mindset to solving problems. So it's no surprise she's been a serial entrepreneur. She's currently the host of the podcast Impact with Megan Walker. She's the co-founder of Health Hives and CEO Chief Cheerleader at Clinician Business Labs, a platform to assist clinicians to scale and amplify their business. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Uli. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you're a game changer for so many clinician entrepreneurs and leaders in the world. You're so incredibly passionate about the future of medicine, mentoring current and the next generation of clinicians on how to deliver better care. Let's start by unpacking the root of the problem as you see it. Yeah, thanks for the chance to talk about to talk about this. I you know, I think there's two sides that are really really challenging here. There's what is happening to patients and the standard of health that continues to decrease as a function of how our system is set up. And then the, then there's the, that literally the health of the care purveyors, deliverers, the nurses, the doctors, the nurse practitioners, the naturopathic doctors, the like the whole spectrum of individuals are also sort of sinking in this ship. And I feel like, you know, if we go to the root cause, which is where I always want to hang out as a naturopathic doctor, I think part of our our problem, notwithstanding the epidemic of, of chronic disease, is actually how that chronic disease and how that illness is interfacing with a system that is ill-equipped to manage. And it's ill-equipped philosophically at its foundation. And what I mean by that is the standard of care and the goal of the traditional system is to get everybody to what I call the line of fine. And we literally hear this. You go see your doctor and they go, you're fine. Meanwhile, you're exhausted and breaking out in hives and you're hungry every two hours and constantly bloated. And they're like, but we've done your blood work. You are fine. Please release this bed and this space and this entity you are occupying so we can move on to the next individual. 
And then simultaneously, we have this, this group of patients who are sort of released into the world, really believing that the standard of health that they should be moving into and impacting in their own unique ways is simply fine. Fine is the standard with which we are working. And so we, we decrease everyone's expectations, which I actually think is part of what is fueling the uptake of horrendous foods and uh, the lack of acumen and vocabulary related to what is possible for us with our health. All of this for me, when we come down to looking at the root cause is really delineating the healthcare system into the management of, of acute disease and people being sick and getting people to the line of fine. And then the entire system philosophy and infrastructure that is required on the opposite side of the line of fine to move people towards their potential, get people excited about what their body and their health can help them facilitate and create in this lifetime. To me, the root cause is that we actually have not even imagined what healthcare needs to look like on the opposite side of the line of fine. And so we are overburdened trying to solve all problems with one system. That reminds me of this Buckminster Fuller quote, you know, can you actually fix a system from within using the rules of the system to evolve the system? And, you know, I have a suspicion that you have a probably a thought on this, that it is maybe not possible when we have a sick care system. That's probably not certainly at this time a healthcare system. So how do you see that transition happening? Is it really just ushering in something totally new? And then obviously you have your new book out, Impact Medicine, that has a lot to do with that paradigm shift where you see the world going. I feel like more than anything, you can't shift a system. You can't change a society unless you create buy-in from the people who are actually on the ground. And so there has, I think, been a long, not in all cases, but in many cases, a longstanding challenge philosophically by those who are delivering acute care and those who work in the realm of delivering potential and health optimization. And the people who are used to delivering health optimization are often frustrated by the tactics of the people who are just trying to keep everyone from drowning. And the people who are working with very sick drowning patients cannot understand why we are focusing on diet when this person's having a cardiac arrest. And so I think this is why I really come back to this concept of the line of fine. I think it really needs to start with a delineation in our understanding and a vocabulary around the needs of our patients. Are these patients you're working with right now on this side of that line or are they on that side of that line? And once we get everyone recognizing that there are different needs for different cohorts of patients on a journey of health potential... Now we can start to create this working vocabulary where it's not like, well, my way is the right way or your way is the right way. It's actually, we each have different ways that work at different times in this patient journey. And everyone needs to acknowledge everybody's role in that, in that system. It's not that one is right and one is wrong when we're looking at things from a macro level, especially it's that we really need to understand our place in that full spectrum. We can talk all day long about what could possibly change operationally within respective healthcare systems, but I think it has to start with practitioners recognizing that there is a journey that health users and health consumers move through, and they have different needs at different steps. And if we can all get on the same page with that, then we can start to acknowledge what systems and infrastructure are required in really each of those quadrants of need. So would you say that this transformation is primarily practitioner-led, or do you see that consumers and patients have a big role in this journey demanding this type of care? Or would you say that patients are so stuck in, in their health conundrums that they don't even have any cognitive bandwidth to imagine 
any other way this could happen. I think we're already seeing consumers taking a leadership role. And here's the thing about Western society is that we are a society that values greatly the metrics of economics. And so when we start to see metrics of economics shifting as it pertains to healthcare, then people start to pay attention. So the health and wellness industry globally is a $1.5 trillion global industry. The pharmaceutical industry is a $1.25 trillion global industry. Health and wellness is larger People are willing to invest their own money in the self-discovery of health. When we look at similar metrics in terms of, well, what are people searching for online? Sure, they're searching for, what do you mean when we have, you know, X, Y, and Z cancers or autoimmune disease? And it's my, you know, my expected lifespan if I've been diagnosed with X, Y, or Z. But mostly what we see is, how can I fix my rheumatoid arthritis on my own? How can I decrease uh, the risks associated with my chemotherapy naturally? How can I detox from glyphosate on my own? And so as practitioners, we have this sort of begrudged relationship with our patients going to Google, whereas I actually get super excited about this. I was like, this is a rite of passage that actually most preventative health practitioners have moved through. We went through the rite of passage of like, I'm taking my health into my own hands and I'm going to experiment with what happens when I change my diet and change how I eat and all of these different facets. And so I think we're actually already seeing the metrics of a society that is looking to take more control over their health. I think we're only going to see more and more of that desire. And what I hope doesn't happen in response is, you know, big industries that are threatened by that shift in consumer power, equally shifting how the control and narrative is delivered in the healthcare system. I think the opportunity is right now to shift the way that we are talking about uh, healthcare at an institutional level, at a government level, at a societal level. But consumers, I think, are actually already driving this. So, Let's go a little bit more into your book. I'm curious to for you to unpack, you know, what you see are some of the bottlenecks that need to be addressed or some of the paradigm shifts that need to happen in how practitioners have to think about care on the spectrum. But there's so many more things that are attached to what you call impact medicine. So let's go sure. there. Yeah. So for me, this idea of impact medicine, this is the medicine that's happening on the opposite side of the line of fine. When these literally millions of patients are sort of dumped at the doorway of, I don't know what to do next because my doctor says I'm fine. And I know in my core, I am not. One of the challenges that I see, and I know you see in, I'm just going to blanketly say the allied health space is we have a whole spectrum of practitioners who've actually never really been taught how to manage people who are looking at health optimization and health potential and the possibility of health. What has happened for most of these practitioners, and it's actually a function of safety and paradigm more than anything else, is they actually were taught to treat preventative medicine and chronic disease and health potential from a pathogenic care delivery model. So what I mean by that is they do these like series of one-on-one visits and try to convince their patients to come back and take natural things or shift their diet. And no one really knows when they're going. Patients are sitting there going, I don't, I don't know when this is ever going to end. I just keep coming back and getting more stuff. There's no transformation that takes place. We've literally just gone from treating them like they were treated when they were sick to treating them like they're still sick, but with natural tools. And so one of the things that I think is so important to understand about patients standing at the line of fine is that one, most of them probably don't need to see you one-on-one. 
And two, the first step for them is to not move into this pathogenic care model, but with natural health substances, it's to actually understand what the journey looks like as a patient dumped at the line of fine. Do you want me to go into that? Yeah, no, I totally want you to um, go deeper on this. And as I said, the book is coming out later this week. So when patients are dumped at this line of fine, and I want you to imagine how this goes because it's a variety of scenarios. It's the fatigued mother of two with chronic anemia, but your blood work looks fine, so off you go. It's the patient who's been put on a biologic with some type of autoimmune condition, and finally their numbers are stable. You're fine. Let's wait till something comes back. Out you go. It's the cancer patient who is finally cancer-free after multiple rounds of chemotherapy and is asking what's next, and they say, we're going to watch and wait. You're fine off you go. We have a whole spectrum of individuals standing in this place going, there's got to be something better. And so what happens is they do what we all seem to do in our modern society is they turn to the first tool that they have access to. And if you can see me, I'm picking up my phone because they pick up their phone and they start to scroll. And so I want you to picture the, the journey of these patients. I picture it as four quadrants, not a linear line. That's really important. This first quadrant I call the aspirational quadrant. This is the first time that people go, oh my gosh, do you know that people change their diet to try to decrease the risk of the recurrence of their cancer or to to mitigate inflammation? Where do they learn that? They learn that from people on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and social media. They learn it for free. And what's cool about this is it is the first time many people have actually started to experiment with these tools themselves because they've been told their whole life in the pathogenic model that what you eat and how you act and what you do has nothing to do with this random disease you've you've encountered. It's maybe genetics, maybe something else. And so people are empowered and excited for the first time because they're starting to see some shifts in their health that they control. And this is so key here. The most you can expect as a practitioner in terms of payment and compensation in this quadrant is someone giving you their email address in exchange for your knowledge. And if you're missing out on the opportunity to acquire this, you are missing out on being able to work with someone down the future. Like this is such an impressionable phase that if you can establish trust and you can deliver them value, then this is someone you will work with down the road. And so in this first phase, as people are gaining momentum, they then move into quadrant number two, and this is a lateral move usually, then this is the first time they move into what I call the DIY or empowerment quadrant, meaning the person is actually putting their money where their mouth is, they're investing in their health, not something normally covered by insurance. They're buying a book or they're buying a water bottle or they're buying a series of of yoga classes or they're going to see a naturopath for the first time or they're trying acupuncture or they booked a massage. I don't know what it is, but they have broken with their traditional spending habit to invest in their own health. One of the opportunities that exists for practitioners in this quadrant is to be part of that conversation. So all my clinician friends are like, nope, I'm a one-on-one clinician. I only do this over here. (laughs) This $1.5 trillion industry is not happening in one-on-one care. It's happening in this quadrant, small incremental spends. And so the opportunity for the one-on-one practitioner is to have what I call a foundational course, an entry-level opportunity for someone to make a small investment in you and you deliver a single outcome. Maybe you increase their energy. Maybe you decrease their inflammation. I don't know. There's any. There's millions of possible things that you can teach people here. Usually I recommend practitioners teach patients in this quadrant something they are tired of talking about in practice over and over again. And what happens in this quadrant is that people either get better and they move deeper into your leveraged ecosystem, meaning offers that you have that don't require they see you one-on-one, 
Or if they're not getting better, this is the first time you say to them, maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe you would benefit from the strategic knowledge that I have as a practitioner. And so the this quadrant system gives people a choice now. They can move down into a maintenance or continuity plan, maybe a, a community program or a membership program or, or something that enables them to talk with other people who've discovered they can control their health as well. Yeah. Or maybe they move laterally and they start to work with a practitioner one-on-one. So I really feel like, and then people can move on. There's so many things we can unpack here, but the, the key part is that you recognize that not all patients want to work with you in a one-on-one context out the bat. And when I was in school, people would say to me, or my, you know, my supervisors would say, oh my gosh, like the intake, it's the best thing people will ever experience. They get to spend two hours with you. You're going to ask them every question under the sun. And what I realized is this is a horrible experience for so many patients. Like they're sitting one-on-one with me while I'm grilling them about their marriage and their bowel movements and their erectile dysfunction and how they use vodka to fall asleep at night. Like this is the most uncomfortable, vulnerable moment for many people in their entire lives. And we think it's like the best thing that's ever happened to them. So I think we really, as practitioners, there's an opportunity for us to sort of take off the hat of the paradigm we're practicing in and everybody on whatever side of the line of fine you practice on, put yourself in the shoes of your patients. What are they looking for in the next step? I remember you saying that, you know, so many practitioners worry about one-on-one competition, the practitioner down the block. And you said it very well. Well, listen, the competition is anything where a patient can get the desired outcome cheaper, faster, more conveniently. And oftentimes it's the apps Mm -hmm. and, you know, what is probably in quadrant two, that is the primary competition and not just the provider down the block. Ultimately, if you do the right job in quadrant one and two, you establish the trust, the connection. There is really no one-on-one um, competition. And you know, let's face it, there's enough people that are unfortunately sick that even you know, there's more demand than supply. Really, a hundred percent. And there's there's so many opportunities. This is where it's so fun for me. I'm like, you get to be creative about how you move people towards a different outcome. And there was a time and place where one-on-one was really like the only, it was the only tool we really had. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have secure portals to be able to talk to people. We didn't have the infrastructure to deliver an incredible user experience with an online course. Or just have the pandemic show people that telehealth is actually a doable thing that, you know, three years ago, I know you coined this. It's like, listen, this is amazing that the pandemic in half a year totally changes how people see telemedicine and suddenly Mm -hmm. it's okay to meet with a doctor via Zoom. And this would have never happened on a normal timeline. No, it's been, it's lots of horrendous things have happened with the pandemic. So notwithstanding those pieces, it would have taken us 10 more years to get the type of buy-in that we are now seeing with respect to virtual care. We're also seeing the things that fall through the through the cracks. We we know, and the data exists, you need to have continuity of care with respect to patients. We know that patients still need access to regular screenings. But what we do do when we acknowledge these other ways that people are willing to acquire information and be held accountable, group programming being one of them, is we're decreasing the cost of care delivery so we can mm-hmm. reallocate resources to things like the screening programs and, and like the group programs and like some of the more sophisticated models. Modeling. And I think where we're going is really 
acknowledging this idea that the model of care that we are choosing actually becomes part of the care itself. All of these things are possible on the opposite side of the line of fine. That's where I feel like all the potential, like where I'm, I'm hedging and where I'm really like investing all of my energy is like the opposite side of the line of fine. We're always going to have chronic disease and there's always all sorts of work we can do to mitigate that piece. But man, imagine a society where we move people closer to their potential that like, that's what I'm really excited to see. Yeah. And I think in, in your past, all your entrepreneurial ventures, you've been working on high performance with entrepreneurs, with high achievers, and you have, you know, you're one of them, but you're also exposed to lots of them that you know what's possible when people are healthy, they can truly change the world because they're not fatigued, they're not bogged down by health issues, etc. So where do you see the future trends in healthcare? And from your vantage point, you know, what is possible or see possible when people get control of their health? In my experience, once people have really gained control over their their energy and in many cases over their emotions and then really started to process, you know, past trauma, past disease risk. Like once we get out of the biochemistry of management, what's really fascinating is the way that we just start to peel off these, these layers, like layers on, on an onion. What I'm really excited to see in terms of the future of health, notwithstanding all the cool things we can do around diagnostics and emergency care. And like, there's all sorts of neat tools mm -hmm. and gadgets that are emerging on that side as well. But when I'm, I'm talking unfocused on this human potential side of things, I'm really excited about, I'm going to say the reemergence and the accelerated scientific validity of bioenergetic medicine. I'm really excited about the way we're able to start to quantify quantify voice to understand emotional intelligence and where people are experiencing blocks on an emotional level in like a reproducible data point kind of, of manner. We're just about to uh, have our, our big annual event called Impact Lives, and we're talking about the future of health. And the technologies that we are showcasing throughout the course of this weekend are absolutely fascinating. And sitting down with the founders as they went from like, I had a hunch this was a thing, to now we have data and like scientists all over the world who are starting to validate um all sorts of energetic modalities. I'm super excited for us to be able to unpack these things uh, more and more because that's where potential resides. You know, we talk all the time and we talked a lot in COVID about, well, follow the science, follow the science. Science is this like man-made, human-made constructed tool for us to help understand the world around us. And as our tools that enable deeper understanding can capture the minutiae and, and honestly, some of the more myopic elements of our existence as we get into some of the more quantum and chemical pieces, which I know you could you could talk me off a ledge off off of that, Uli. This is this to me is super exciting how we can use this to drive people closer to the potential, how we can use this to uh, eliminate uh, trauma, accelerate healing. That's one of the sides of the future of medicine. I'm super excited to explore more. And I think it's one of the sort of innate drivers of human existence that, you know, this this dream part, this hope, this aspiration to get there, whatever get there is for, for anybody. But until now, if you're obviously bogged down with chronic disease, it's very hard mm -hmm. to even get anywhere closer. So you mentioned Impact Life. Obviously, it's my favorite conference of the year, um, just because meeting so many fabulous people in your audience in, in Toronto always a chance to connect with 
so many people. I say I have more friends in Toronto than I have probably in any other city <laughs> in, in the U.S. So for those listeners that have not yet booked a ticket, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't have, but maybe they haven't heard about the conference in the first place. Uh, do you want to share a little bit of what's happening over the three days, of obviously including the launch of your book, Impact Madison, and give folks a chance to have a front row seat to the future of health? Yeah. So, I mean, the future, part of what's cool about the future is it, it comes to you. And so there absolutely is an opportunity with Impact Lives to come and hang out with us in person. Uh, but we also weren't willing or ready to let go of the virtual side of Impact Lives. So the Thursday and the Friday, the Thursday will definitely be my book launch. The Friday and the Saturday. So those full three days, if you're joining us as part of that virtual experience, we're going to go everywhere from like envisioning what the future looks like to designing out your practice of the future. And on the Saturday, really being able to give you access to intensive sessions to be able to move your practice forward. And when we envisioned what Impact Lives would really be about, it's really about giving you the tools to be the leader of medicine of the future and impact medicine the paradigm shift required to build a practice that carries less risk, diversified income. This is how you future-proof your practice is you have more than one stream of income. You have a stream of income that is not predicated on you sitting in your office day in and day out, but can happen simultaneous to your vacation where you're restoring your own health and your own potential. So we have some incredible speakers. We have we have speakers who work on the opposite side of the line of fine. We have the head of ICU medicine at the University of Ottawa who's going to be talking about how the healthcare system cannot exist without prevention. We have Indigenous medical healers who are going to be talking about the history of where we came from. We have body language experts who are going to talk about how do you embody the movement and characteristics of a leader as we move into this next phase. And between that, anyone who's hung out with us before knows I love to be ruthlessly practical. So it's one thing to get inspired, but I also want you to leave the weekend with practical tools. And so what we're doing is we're helping you design a practice of a future, the future, which includes at least $5,000 in recurring revenue every month because we are diversifying how you are reaching more patients. So we're going to outline that and create that for you as part of that experience as well. Yeah. And having been to many of, I think this is the fifth installment of Impact Life, your annual conference. So I've been to, I think, two or three. And then obviously the pandemic happened, but I'm looking forward to really connect later this week with so many of the attendees. I know your curriculum is always, as I said, so strategically oriented that you're trying to fix the problem from the root and design something that can work for anyone, wherever they are in the world, whatever their credentials are. So I feel it's, it's one of the most practical conferences around each year. So thanks for putting all of this together. I know it's a lot of work. And finally, where can get people uh, their hands on the book if they're not coming to the event? How can they pre-order? What do you have in place for that? Yeah, so you can grab all the links to pre-order the book at impactmedicinebook.com. Amazon will carry it and all the associated links. So you can head on over there and uh, we have uh, launch sale prices and pre-sale prices available. So it would be amazing if you got your hands on a copy of the book and follow along because our launch is going to be happening live on the uh, 17th. So you can join us as part of that live event. We'll have all sorts of giveaways and different things taking place. So you can follow along with me on Instagram for that. And you'll see all the behind the scenes at Impact Lives if for some reason 
you can't be there. <laughs> yeah, so we'll put all the links in the show notes. I'll be obviously there in person as well. And Megan, thank you so much for sharing what Impact Medicine is about. Hopefully people feel inspired that this is definitely a book that they should purchase and follow along. Do you want to end the show with some final words from your end, what you wish for clinicians around the world? Yeah, thank you for that. You know, my fundamental belief has always been and continues to be that when people have their health, they can change the world. And so my final thought to clinicians is keep doing what you're doing and meet people where you're at because you would not believe the impact your patients are having uh, when you hand them back the gift of their health. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Very well said. Thank you so much, Megan, for being on the show. And um, everyone else, we'll see you next week. Trust this episode was inspiring and that you'll join me for a new episode each and every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you are listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week. Music